Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 9. The title for our study today is called Thank God. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things that I do for ministry, please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast and telling people about it on social media, sharing it with people you know. We all do a pretty good job of sharing the things we like and the things that we find helpful for lots of other stuff. Let's make sure we're not neglecting good Bible teaching from that effort. The more action and activity that social media sees, the more likely it is to recommend this stuff to other people. And at the end of it all, it really helps us bring glory to the Lord as more people find out about this. A simple tap of the share button could help put the true gospel in front of someone's eyes, maybe for the first time, or even encourage a believer who really needs it. And that's what we all want. Amen? So enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 9, the Bible says, To the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son, a psalm of David, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your sight. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation. Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Well, all right. So this is a pretty long portion of scripture that's got a whole bunch of good stuff that we don't just want to gloss over. The type of Bible teaching that we like to do here is to explore the hows and whys of scripture. We want to know what God has to say for sure, but we also want to know why he says those things, which takes time and careful consideration of details. So we're going to break this psalm up into four parts. 
Today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And then the next three episodes, we'll look at the rest to make sure that we're getting all the good stuff that the Lord wants to give. So let's look at those first 10 verses. Check it out. The modern church does some funny things sometimes. For example, as we're looking at Psalm 9, we can see that the church has taken a biblical mandate or a command and made it into a commonly used phrase that sometimes seems cliche in its contextual usage. This command and concept deals with thanks and praise that we're called to give to God. And here's what I mean. It's pretty common to hear the phrase praise God or thank God used in all kinds of conversations, inside and outside of church. And we use those phrases to describe a number of different situations. Some people will even exaggerate that sentiment by using the Hebrew phrase, hallelujah, right? Sometimes these phrases are said as exclamations. Sometimes these phrases are said out of mindless habit. Sometimes these phrases are said out of actual heartfelt consideration and even desperation. It's actually kind of all over the place, and that's the issue. See, the Bible is clear that we're called, we're commanded to thank God and praise him. But the Bible is also specific about how God wants to be thanked and praised. We don't get to make that stuff up. It's good to speak praises of God and to thank him for all things, but it's also important that our praises and thanks are actually heartfelt and inspired by the Holy Spirit of God based on his revelations his convictions, and his instructions and in how he wants to be praised and thanked. If we're saying these sorts of things just to say them or maybe even to be funny or whatever, look, that's not cool. According to the Bible, if we're not constantly receiving the revelations of God's righteousness according to his word and then considering who our God is, our praise and our thanks are likely insincere and actually worthless to God, and that's not a good place to be. Now, the song lyrics of Psalm 9, specifically in verses 1 through 10, which is what we're looking at here, explain where the motives for our praises and our thanks should come from. Basically, the Bible commands the people of God to praise and thank him based on our knowledge and understanding of who he is. In other words, the more we know about God according to his word and the understanding that his spirit provides, the more compelled we should be to thank him and exalt his name and his purposes genuinely and biblically. Psalm 9 begins by referring to several different forms of praise that should be expressed towards God on a regular basis by us. In the first two verses, the psalm mentions actually five different ways to praise and thank God. David's lyrics in Psalm 9 begin by saying, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart I will tell of all your marvelous works. Now the English word for praise is a Hebrew word that describes a posture of thanksgiving. It's a physical posture that describes someone's hands extended outward towards the one that they are thanking. It's an expression of like humble gratitude. Notice though that this sort of gratitude is expressed with the whole heart, right? The scripture is pretty clear to say that. The physical posture that David was describing isn't just a mindless motion or like an emoji, right? David thanked the Lord with this sort of praise because his heart and his soul were stirred up by his understanding of who God is. So, who is God, right? What did David know about the identity of God? In the first line, David referred to God as Lord in the English, which is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. David knew God as Yahweh, which is his name that describes him as the eternally self-existing, self-sustaining creator and controller of all things in heaven and on earth, who connected himself to his creation 
through the unique covenants he made with Israel. Yeah, that name comes with all of that understanding. David was grateful to know his maker this way. David was humbled and inspired to thank God for his amazing revelations that actually enabled David to have a relationship with him. So it was for this reason that David was compelled to express his gratitude towards God with more than just a hand gesture. David wanted to tell people about what he knew of God that he learned from God. David wanted to promote God's name. David wanted to tell everyone in the world about the marvelous works God had done in his life. The marvelous works in the last phrase of verse 1 is a word that means difficult to understand in the original Hebrew language. This is the verb version of the Hebrew word used to describe actually the Messiah as wonderful in Isaiah 9.6. It's a word that's commonly used to identify God's triune nature and the work that he promised to do as Israel's Messiah according to the promises he made as the Father. God's work is definitely hard to understand. We often express that truth by saying God works in mysterious ways, right? Regardless of how much we know of God or even understand his works, the people who truly appreciate God and the things he shows us are going to be supernaturally inspired to tell the world about the truths we can say about him and the amazing things he reveals of himself to us. When God shows us something, we want to share it, right? That was David. So then David said that he would be glad, he would rejoice, and he would sing praises. Again, verse 2 says exactly that. It says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now, these all sound like words that express essentially the same thing, but they are different words in the original language that describe the intensity of David's appreciation of God. When David spoke about gladness, he was describing himself as being cheerful in his gratitude towards God and his proclamations of God's works. David was actually excited to speak about God and to know him to any degree. He wasn't embarrassed to speak about the Lord like some people are. It certainly wasn't a chore for him, right? When David said he would rejoice, he was referring to his attitude of being ecstatic. David wasn't someone who just put on fronts to make himself look good in front of other people, right? Here's David writing privately, even though it reached a public audience. But David was deeply stirred up in his heart about the amazing things that God had done to make himself known in David's life and to fulfill his promises, not just to David, but to all of Israel. So David's praises also had emotion, but they weren't motivated by emotion. It's very important we understand the difference there. David's praises were motivated by his attitudes towards God, based on a maturing understanding of God's identity, his attributes, nature, character, God's integrity, right? His purposes and his promises. David realized who God was based on the things that God had taught him. And also, David knew who he was by comparison to God, and he was deeply satisfied to know the creator of all things, the triune God of heaven and earth, knowing that he did not deserve to have that relationship with God. David's gratitude was so great that he was compelled not only to proclaim God's greatness, but also to sing melodies to God, provoked by the Spirit of God to say good things about the name of God as often as he could. Remember, this psalm is a song. David referred to God's name as O Most High which in Hebrew is a reference to God's name as El Elyon. In other words, David knew of God as Yahweh Elohim, right? Yahweh, the eternally self-existing, self-sustaining God most high, and Elohim referring to his triune, supremely majestic nature. But then also, 
knew him as the Most High God who is exalted above all things in heaven and earth because of who he is as Yahweh Elohim. David understood the immeasurable power and wisdom, glory, and goodness of God that transcends all human reason and understanding. David's understanding of these truths about God, whether he could explain or quantify them or not, didn't matter. It fired him up so that he wanted to talk about God all the time, even in songs. Now, the reason that David was so hyped over God to praise him like this was because of the marvelous works that God did, which David explained as God's judgments. (laughs) Now, here's something unique. Again, Psalm 9, verses 3 through 6 says this, When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. Now, David couldn't fully explain God's righteousness. No one can. He did know, though, that God was supremely right and just and saw God's righteousness in action demonstrated through the miraculous judgments that God had administrated at various points in David's life. In other words, David was so excited to know God because he saw manifestations of God's righteousness to judge the wicked, like with his own eyes. And also, he saw God preserve the faithful while he was judging the wicked. That's how David learned about God's righteousness. He knew the testimony of God's righteousness through the scriptures, right? That was easy. Anyone could read that stuff. And David, as the king, had access. But then he saw God actually do what he says in the scriptures, the things that he's going to do to judge the wicked. So David saw that too. He was paying attention not just to what the word said, but what God was doing to fulfill what he said. David was thankful to be on the favorable side of God's wonderful works, seeing firsthand how God treats the ungodly and the unfaithful. David was thankful that God administrates justice so that those who persecute and inflict pain on God's people, they are dealt with rightly by God himself. David spoke of God's judgments with fear, but with honor and faith also. David was constantly running from enemies and constantly engaged with opposition. Still, David referred to God's judgments as events that had already happened, even though he was still waiting for stuff to take place. Even though God had not yet fully judged the wicked, when you look at what we just read in verses 3 through 6, David seemed really sure about God's righteousness. David seemed confident that God would make all things right and good in the end, even though David knew that God had rendered verdicts but was just waiting for the right time to actually execute those judgments. Everything was as good as done in God's perspective, but also in David's, even though David was still waiting for the fulfillment of some things and had to suffer from some of those people in the process. So in verses 8 and 9, David wrote this, He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. This shows that David understood God's identity by another name for God, as Jehovah Sidgenu, which means the Lord our righteousness. David understood that God was the one who would make everything right and good, just and fair. David trusted in God's power, his sovereignty, his control, his wisdom, and his faithfulness to do all things perfectly according to God's holiness as he declared those things in his word. Even though David waited for the fulfillment of God's total goodness, 
he was still confident in God's ability and God's willingness to do the right things. This is why David was thankful. He was thankful to escape God's judgments for sure, right, and be preserved by God's mercy and grace. He was thankful to know that God would deal with the ungodly in the right manner in his time. He was thankful that God sees the suffering of his own people who endure persecutions and are waiting for the time to pour out his vengeance on behalf of his people who are faithful to him. David addressed the difficulties that ungodly people bring into the lives of God's own people. It's not easy. Persecution and suffering, they're real in this life, and David was no exception. Still, David knew that God was eternally unchanging. He is El Olam, the everlasting God. Even though the difficulties of persecution and opposition bring a lot of pain and frustration, that pain is not strong enough to outlast the preservation, restoration, and blessing of the everlasting God. David was deeply grateful to God because he was made a beneficiary of God's eternal mercy and grace, which would last far longer than the pain and suffering of persecution and opposition in this world. That's a good reason to be thankful. David confessed that it's those who know the name of God that put their trust in him these ways. Verse 10 plainly says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The name of God here doesn't just refer to the titles attributed to God in the Bible. The name of God refers to his unique and transcendent attributes. The name of God refers to his character and nature that is made known by the gracious revelations that God brings into our lives through the word. God reveals himself according to his word and by his spirit. And then he opens our eyes and unstops our ears to understand the things that can't be known any other way, things pertaining to himself, which are spiritual and eternal in nature. Without this revelation from God, from his word, we wouldn't even know God and by extension would not be able to put our trust in him based on what verse 10 tells us. It's because God works miracles and does works that are hard to understand that we're actually able to know who he is. And I know that sounds kind of backwards, but the Bible kind of teaches backwards that way. Why? Because God wants us to know that when we see backwards things happen to produce right things, it's his hand that made it happen, not ours. It's those who really know the character and nature of God these ways, according to the truth of his word, that are compelled to seek him and are grateful for the favor that he shows us and the privilege we have to seek him. It's important to understand that David was primarily thankful for God's revelations that came through the conduit of God's judgments. Again, that is not something we hear often in the modern church these days. Without the destruction of darkness, unrighteousness, and ungodliness, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the goodness of God, at least according to its full measure. And since no one is righteous, then we're all dependent on God's mercy to preserve us from the judgments that we deserve, since we all sin and we're all guilty of offending God. If not for God's judgments against evil and also his mercy to preserve the faithful, we wouldn't even be able to know God. And if we can't know God, we certainly don't get the favor of God. Now, David recognized the extent of revelation, of mercy, and grace that God had given to him. He also knew that since God is eternal, that revelation, mercy, and grace were eternal also. That's why his gratitude was so heartfelt. 
David knew about God's unique character and nature by personal experience, receiving God's word, cherishing God's promises, and seeking God's presence and righteousness. David knew that his pursuit of God was made possible by God himself, not his own ability. And understanding this, David was moved with humility and sincere appreciation. I mean, God was all over David's life, and David was excited by that. That humble appreciation was so rich in David's heart that he was compelled to sing about God and who he is. David's heart was so overwhelmed with humble appreciation that he was stirred up to tell everyone about who God is. At the end of the day, it's our knowledge of God's identity, his purposes, and his promises that should cause us to praise God, to thank him, and proclaim his goodness. Not just because he does good things, but because he is good and right and holy. And that's what the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. So look, before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed and make sure that you share the link to this podcast on your social media and make sure that you're letting people know about what we got going on here. We need all the people we can to know the truth about God as the scriptures tell us and the hope that he wants to give. Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope that they may need, maybe even right now. And also, keep in mind that all the Bible teaching I do here is 100% listener-supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay the bills for the tools that make this stuff available to you, as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the Word and prepare to this degree. And it's a lot of work. If this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. We're a legit nonprofit. We are actually a 501c3 operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. If you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing, you can visit www.pastorbside.com, like the flip side of a record, hit the support tab, and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. And believe me, every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering with us monthly, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church. Because look, the church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, and that's exactly what we do here. Ministries like this need support just like any other, with or without the pulpit, the walls, and the pews, right? So for all the false teaching being shared out there, let's partner together and make a strong effort to get more good teaching out there. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study. And until next time, peace out.